Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners prepare for exit so you can maximize value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights Podcast presented by Succession Plus, and I'm Daryl Bates-Brownsword. Today, I'm talking to Joe Hine from SI Partners. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here, Daryl. Brilliant. Now, Joe, SI Partners, you're M&A consultants. You work with primarily professional service type businesses to help them find buyers and, and help the business owners exit. And we, we explored about today's conversation going, what is it specific or peculiar about professional and, and service-based businesses in general that makes them different or unique that, uh, that, and the things that influence their valuation and, and how business owners can prepare them and, and get ready so that ultimately when they come and have a chat to you, they're, they're ready to go and uh, we've removed all the friction as, or they've removed all the friction as much as possible. So why don't you give us, a, a just before we jump in, a little bit about, I, I guess, yourself and, 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 and what, you know, what I guess is, is attractive to you when it, when it comes to working with a, um, a potential client. <clears throat> sure. Uh, great. So look, yeah, as you said, my name is Joe Hine. I'm one of the partners at SI Partners. We have five partners uh, across the world um, and we trade with clients from uh, the USA through Europe, the Middle East, um, and all the way up Asia and um, Australia uh, and, and up to Japan. Um, we are, uh, as you said, we're specialists. We, we mainly work in the professional services sector. Um, and, you know, our focus is working with entrepreneurs to help them build and, and realize value uh, in their businesses. Uh, personally, my, my background, I've I spent my entire career in and around M&A, so about 25 years now, um, originally at PwC and then through various different uh, industry gigs at uh, a lot in mobile, so um, Virgin Mobile and, and, and various other corporations before. I joined SI Partners uh, 10 years ago as a, as a partner and uh, haven't looked back since. Brilliant. So, Joe, thanks for sharing. So, so I think it's fair to say that you've got a little bit of experience in in the topic we're talking about today, and and global experience to boot. So that that suits the audience of as SME business owners that that we're talking to, primarily in Australia, UK, and the US, you know, sure. and and a few in Singapore and Asia as well. So, really good to have you on the show. Why, why don't we jump straight in and go straight for the jugular and go look. When a business owner approaches you and they say, hey, Joe, look, I've built my business thus far. I, I now want to exit my business. I, I want to sell the business. I've, I've thought about the various options. What is it you look at? What do you, what do you look for to go, yep, I can sell this business? Sure. I mean, look, the, the most obvious start place is the financials of the business. So, uh, you know, have you got profit in there? Are you growing as a business? Um, you know, these things are, make huge, huge differences when we come to sort of thinking about valuations and the ability to buy and sell the business. The, um, the, one of the most important things is somebody's going to want value for what they've got. And so actually you kind of, are they going to realize what the value they want? Um, you know, if, if they're going to invest in a process and, and kind of go on a journey with someone like somebody like us. So you, you absolutely start with the, the financials, ensuring there's profit, ensuring there's growth within that business because that will make it much more appealing to, to the market. Um, then the second thing is making sure it's in an area or a sector that people are interested in and, and, and that, you know, uh, it's an area that, that businesses are investing in um, because, you know, great businesses that aren't always saleable. Um, 
you know so you've just got to be quite considerate about you know the market dynamics as well so what when a business owner comes to you, you you've mentioned about i guess their valuation or their expectation mm. In your experience, how how well informed, I guess, or educated are business owners by the time they get to you? Do you know, have they got a a realistic appreciation of what their business could be worth to an acquirer, or is there, um, I guess, a, a magnitude shift in what they want for the business and what the business is potentially worth to an uh, an acquirer? Yeah, I'd say it falls into a few camps. Um, you'll get a lot of people that just it's completely new to them; they don't have any understanding or uh, of the market and how it might work they might have spoken to some friends but don't really understand the layer layers beneath and the complexity that might be involved um you get some people that um have uh maybe had some approaches and their businesses are in a uh quite an in-demand space they've probably got um overinflated valuation expectations that sometimes have to be, uh, you know, what the market will always decide, but, um, you know, you kind of can tell them uh, just about you know, the realities behind what deals are being done at this point in time. And then there's a lot of people that kind of sit in between that have a little bit of experience, but but still need that help just to just to kind of go beneath, you know, what is a headline valuation and, and kind of what, what's the risk profile on that? And, you know, what, what have they read about versus kind of what's the reality? Yeah. So I guess stage one or step one is to go, let's see how exitable the business is, like how dependent is the business on the owner or the founders being involved on a daily basis. Step two is, and, and I think, you know, well, this is what we find, and, and I guess it's similar to you, is that some owners go, hey, look, the business owes me this much, so therefore that's the value. Um, and some will go, hey, look, I just want to sell it for X amount, and they've just picked a nominal amount that they, they want to sell it for, and it's it's up to advisors like yourself to go either manage expectations and go, no, you're dreaming, or that's way too low, or yeah, that's about right. And then sometimes there, there's a gap uh, and and your job or our job is to go, well, how do we close that gap for you, Mr. Business Owner? How do we, how do we put some things in place so that we can get the actual value of the business and represent it so it is closer to your expectation of what a buyer is going to pay for your business? and there's some work that can be done there. <clears throat> what are some of the easy wins that you see for business owners? So, so we're talking service-based businesses. What are some of the quick wins that you can suggest to a business owner that will really have an influence on the valuation before you take it to market? Yeah, I mean, look, the quick wins is is uh, it's not always easy. Well, there's not always many of them, right? Because if they were all quick and easy, then everyone would do them. So, but there are a couple of things you can think about. Um, I think the biggest thing is in a service business, the majority of the assets, are, if not all the assets, will be the people. So um, I think thinking about how you secure the asset for the buyer, how you secure the people for the buyer is is the, one of the most common elements that we help people with and, and embark on at kind of an early stage. Um, and that's easiest, most easily done with, with some kind of share incentives. Um, and just thinking about uh, sharing the value slightly beyond the founder, the founders um, of, of a business. Um, you could do that in a way that protects your value and, and ensures you're not giving away too much, but actually makes it interesting. And buyers are uh, always very encouraged to see this. And in fact, if they don't see it, they normally restructure it into the deal anyway. 
um, they want value to go into the people that are working in the business. Um, and the second thing you can do is really cre create a really cohesive growth plan. Um, and that's not just about a, uh, a spreadsheet um, with, with some numbers about what the future might look like, but it's, it's about how you're gonna achieve those numbers. So what sits beneath them? Um, what are the initiatives that you're gonna do? What, what are the practical steps? And what evidence do you have of those practical steps to, to make that coherent? And because in any service deal or the majority of the service deals, you'll have some value upfront and some value that is deferred and paid in the future. The, uh, the stronger your growth plan, the, the better um, uh, put together it is. And the more the buyer believes in it, then the more value you can create in that future, um, uh, that future payments. Okay, so, so more than just a budget which says, here's the revenue projection year on year. It's an actual business plan that says, hey, look, it's not just doing more of the same every year. It's here's specifically what we're going to do. And yep. if we forecast some step jumps, here's why we expect them to happen because we're going to be doing this or we're expecting this new product or this new process to kick in. And the other thing I think is you said lock people in. So yep. how do you secure um you know and and give confidence to the new buyers that you're not going to get a mass exit when people go and i think you know and perhaps this is you know checking in on with you is it fair to say that in service-based businesses generally that uh the owners are very keen to acknowledge the input and the effort and the contribution that the employees have made to the business so that when they do exit that the employees benefit somehow and or, or some contribution there I, I think it's a mixed bag and it depends upon yep. the, the nature of the business. Um, I would say that the majority of the deals that we do will have sharing amongst wider than the founders in the business, the original shareholders. I'd say, I, I think that is probably, yeah, 95% plus of the deals that we've, we've done um, will be un, under that scenario. Okay. So given that, you know, we hear a lot about when it's preparing your business to exit, it's it's a really sensitive time. You 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 don't want to tell the employees too soon. You don't want to you know you don't want to um, you know put the deal at risk uh, because we all know that a deal can fall over right at the last minute. So you don't want mm -hmm. to tell people and put fear in them. If you're incentivizing the people to to stay, um, at what time do you let them know that hey you're in you're thinking of exiting the business, um, or do you just put these share incentives in and go hey look for one day maybe. We're, we're thinking going, at some point we're going to exit the business. You know, people look at owners and they see them getting older and they, they, they start to put, you know, one and two together. So if business owners go, hey, look, let's have some incentive plan so that it uh, you all benefit at some point when we do exit the business. We've got no specific plans, but we just want to let you know this is the culture of the business that we, we want to incentivize you or, or if it's just the key management team or the key people, the key influences in the business. Do they let them know ahead of time or do they do they put something in place when the deal's being negotiated to lock them in? What what do you see happening there? Yeah. If if you're doing it when the deal's been negotiated, it's too late. Right. Um uh for for the majority of occasions, because uh for many of these schemes you have to to, to get capital treatment, which is obviously what we want because it tends to be favorable in the majority of tax jurisdictions. Um but to do that you have to have a low price for any kind of share options that you give people to ensure that they get a capital gain a capital uplift um and the more the, the deeper you are into a deal then the harder it is to argue the value of the business is very low so to, to actually trigger and to create a gain 
So, so you kind of have to do it a while out. And, and for me, there is three potential uh, touch points with, with your team. I mean, clearly the first one is, you know, instilling the share options with someone, um, you know, or putting them in for, for your senior management team or whomever it is within the business. Um, it's a moment of sensitivity because if you say, here's some options and uh, I've got no plans to sell the business, then it's hard for someone to put, attribute any value to that. So therefore it's a waste of your time and your effort, right? You're, you're really trying to, you know, kind of create an incentive for people to stay. Um, so you, you kind of have need to help them uh, realize that it's something that may happen in the future, that, that, you know, kind of the timing on it is uncertain, but actually kind of, I want to make sure that you are there and kind of participate on it. Um, but also help them understand the value that they might attribute to that. I mean, and, and that's critical um, because you can't, you know, if you say you've got 1% of a company, that's great. But what does that mean to me? And, and you've really got to think that through quite carefully. The second touch point is just as you're going along the journey. And uh, I would, would not advise sharing any details of conversations or transactions you're doing. I would advise, though, that business owners are candid um, about their desire to grow the business and their desire to look at all avenues and opportunities to do that. So i.e. M&A is not off the table, but it's not necessarily on the table, but I'm open-minded to it. Um, if that's something that you believe in and, and, and the journey that you want your company to eventually take, because you're taking that kind of surprise element out of it and, and you're able to um, also, and, and, and for all the deals that we do, in fact, the, the importance of them is always to look at growth and, and to look at you know the reason why you'd bring a, a partner into the organization you know someone to buy the business is really to to facilitate growth and that's where the strongest deals come from the strongest valuations and then sort of let's say the third touch point is absolutely at the last minute of when you have somebody at the table um they're destabilizing in the business they take people's eye off the ball the the thing that will kill a deal um well it's two things that kill deals one is time just takes too long for whatever reason people aren't moving quickly enough the second reason is the performance of one of your businesses goes south. And it's normally the performance of the, the business that's being acquired is most likely um, because then, you know, the buyer will, will say, I can't justify the price because your performance is not what you said it was going to be. And we've lost some trust. The people that deliver that performance are the people in the business. So you've got to keep them, you know, very, very focused on, on what you're doing and, and, and keep the group very, very tight. Okay. And just going back to, I guess, those first earlier points you're making when you're talking about incentives, mm. I think you were alluding to the fact that in the UK, there's some, some pretty attractive tax advantages if you create some incentives up front for, for your key employees that can be uh, lucrative uh, upon exit. And yeah, that, yeah, that's correct. I mean, in, in the UK, it's, it's perhaps the most tax advantageous regime um, that you can get very, very uh, favorable options. The government likes share ownership amongst employees so they encourage it however it's not just in the uk um yeah. you, you get them in other jurisdictions as well they're probably not quite as favorable but they're definitely very favorable but the earlier it's, it's a real balance because the earlier you put it in the better but they're imperfect right you know whenever you put share options in you if they're going to be wrong you're just trying to get them as, as the least amount least wrong you can basically wrong as possible. um yeah and because yeah they're inflexible inflexible instruments but um Certainly in the UK, it will. The, 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 you're talking about a tax rate of 20% on any gain, potentially 10% on any gain, versus um, you know 50 to 60% uh, once you load in all of the the, uh, the taxes on the business if you want to do something through a bonus mechanism. Okay, so 
So part of it is, hey, look, we've, we've got some, I guess, commercial tools, regardless of where you are in the world, that um, the sooner we get them into the business, it sends a message to the employees that, hey, look, we're all in this together. We all have a role in, in increasing the value of the business. And the name of the game here is to build a sustainable business that is growing and we're building the asset value and we've got an open mind and we're, we're always looking at ideas to increase the value of the business which in in itself is suggesting that we're valuable to our client base. If we're, if we're valuable, we're doing a good service in the marketplace and clients are coming to us, so we're growing. If we do that with a, a strategic perspective, um, we're also growing the valuation as well as the revenue and or profit. So we want to be thinking, how do we grow the valuation? And that could include M&As or, or acquisitions, um, um, acquiring, starting new products and what have you. <clears throat> And and so we, the sooner, yeah, if you, you can't just go, if you're halfway through a deal, you can't sort of, well, you can put something in place, but it's a bit harder to get a really nice track, tax attractive um, uplift for employees, um, but we might get some recognition for them that they, they'll get some gains. So long game here is the best. And it sounds like we're coming back to um, what a lot of advisors tell us in, in, in different areas of, of support to business owners that you really need to start thinking about this three or more years in advance to, to get a nice um, uplift or, or nice benefit to everyone. <clears throat> the next piece is around the valuation. So we, we know that it, uh, the, the way a business is valued or, or, or some of the business owners out there might not know this, but the way typically businesses are valued is there's a profit component out there and there's also a multiplier of that profit component. And depending on different businesses and different markets and industries they're in, that profit multiplier will vary. So, Joe, when we're talking about service-based businesses specifically, how how does that that multiplier change? Does it change with size? Does it change with industry? Does it change with territory? What can you share? What insights can you provide there? Yeah, um, it, it, this is a, a real you know kind of piece of string kind of question because sure. right? you, you can answer it incredibly simply and and but actually that will hide uh, and mask the the kind of reality behind it. So a lot of people will have numbers of somewhere between five and ten times. Um, EBITDA or profit, as you said, EBITDA is sort of a slightly kinder version of your profit. Um, the uh, and, and you know, kind of think that that that's that's what they might receive, and and they're probably right, right? In most scenarios, that's that's kind of where you'd end up. But there's there's quite a lot else behind that, and and such a, a big part of it is the risk and reward. So, um, you know, kind of the more value you receive up front, the likely that uh, you have a lower overall valuation, but the more risk and uncertainty you're likely to take on, then the, the higher valuation, the more value you, you might receive, which is kind of obvious at one level. And, and and it would depend upon your appetite as an individual and the type of buyer that you you kind of you want to buy. And there are, you know, I guess the most important thing to to consider when you're talking to a buyer about about um, you know selling your business to them is is how are they valued as a business? Yeah, because. Um, they're never going to be able to buy uh, your business for, or very rarely, I'd say, um, but almost never will they buy a business that's valued, a valuation that's greater than their own, um, because otherwise it's just dilutive to to their shareholders and to to their value of business. So, they're you know most likely that is going to dictate the overall 
value that you're going to get the, the multiple that that you will you'll get paid upon the business okay. um but if you you kind of uh you also look at kind of the share types of consideration that you're likely to get the types of buyers so kind of some of the some of the more traditional buyers in in the marketplace perhaps listed businesses that have been around for a long time they tend to have fairly conservative deal models with sort of maybe 30 to 40 percent of the value up front but actually may, may more value opportunity over overall um they uh, because you're taking risk and if you're prepared to share the risk then then kind of there's more value opportunity there a lot of the consultancies or, or particular and us style, style businesses us style deals sorry they have a they'll sort of fix the value so there's, there's less opportunity for upside but you might get 40 50 maybe 60 percent of the value up front um potentially higher in, in that kind of deal but the the remainder of the value is 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 much smaller and and perhaps much shorter in terms of the the period of time you have to wait to get the money and perhaps less onerous in the things that you have to do to to receive that money as well um or and the third type of deal that we see at the moment is is where you you're selling to a business that is uh, on a journey themselves a buy and build strategy and they will offer you part cash and part shares in their business um and that may be because they're listed it may be because they're private equity um, or it may be because they're a private individual. Um, the, the first two are more favorable than the last one because you have greater certainty of liquidity over those shares. And, and the private equity one is perhaps one of the most common in the marketplace at the moment where people will offer you shares in their vehicle to, to go on that journey with them to allow you to, to kind of um, benefit from value at the, uh, the secondary sale. Yeah, so you get two bites of the cherry. You get to sell your business twice in that scenario uh yeah or or arguably even more you know three times of each each value kind of going up and up and up but yeah um absolutely and, and, but it creates a longer timetable and it creates more risk so it's not for everybody but it's it's quite appealing to, to some but it creates more risk but it also allows them to de-risk to some perspective because they've sold a portion of the business absolutely. they're now no longer all of their asset a lot of their their personal wealth is tied up in their business they can extract some de-risk it out that re-energizes them to go, right, let's go again. If it's a PE, they go, well, we want you involved in the journey going forward. It's a great sign of faith. Um, you know, we, we want to do this with you to take the business to the next stage. And then, you know, um, you, you hear stories out there in the marketplace where they sell the second half of the business uh, and they get significantly more than, you know, the first half, which is is what the PEs are more interested in anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and. I think one of the biggest decisions for any uh, seller or, or entrepreneur would be um, the time that they want and, and you know, how much energy and uh, do they want to expend and how long do they want to expend it for? Um, kind of, if you're taking shares, you have less certainty over how much longer you might want to be there. Um, so longer as a, uh, as an employee rather than, a, you know, kind of founder owner or um, kind of, you know, kind of, or having a, a being a, definitely an owner um uh versus perhaps a deal structure which gives you certainty over when you may you may kind of be free from the deal structure albeit you might want to hang around and, and stay within the business but you know you're no longer compelled to be there because of the financial incentive or significant financial incentive that's available to you there so what we're hearing is look uh, there is a stack a ton of different variations and options available when it comes to exiting your service business you know you can take a chunk out and then and and you know, go on the ride with 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 a pe if you're big enough and attractive enough to be acquired by a you know some sort of a financial investor um you you may merge or, or become part of another organization and end up as an employee 
you can take your money all out and then exit the business. So it's really important to know what you want as a business owner and, and where you are in your stage of, of life and, and, and employment and working and, and your journey there. It's, it's important to know where you are financially in your personal financial circumstances and what you want out of your business. And then just where your energy is. Like, what do you want moving next? Are you, are you, are you ready to keep working? Do you want to, do you want to stop? Do you want to do something else? You know, it's understanding energetically where you are and what you want from your business. And so, you know, what you've shared with us, Joe, is, is a lot of different options of, of what's available. What do you see, you know, if, if, if business owners are listening to this and they're aspirational and they go, look, I'd love to get my business acquired by, um, you know, some sort of financial institution who wants to put a lot of money in, take my business there, you know, a PE company, take my business to the, to the next level. How big do they have to be to, attractive, to be attractive to someone like that? Yeah, so private equity or any, any investment house and professionalized investment house um, will, will, is basically dictated by the size of check they want to write. Um, so because they'd have an investment thesis and part of that would be, I'm going to write checks of X and, and hence when they raise their money, they'll raise the, the amount of money that allows them to distribute that across however many deals they want to do. So if you're talking about private equity houses, the sort of lower mid market, ten, the minimum they want to invest is 10 million. But a lot of them would like to have minimum ticket of around 20 million in size. So if you kind of work that back and you say, all right, so they're going to value your business. Let's be conservative and say seven times, you know, and they want to buy 51% of the business, then, you know, you're going to need minimum of two, three million of, of EBITDA to, to kind of get you there to, to enable the deal to, to be facilitated. So you've got to be in the high million of EBITDA, 1.9 or, or getting into two to three, really to, to have a, uh, a meaningful conversation with a number of houses to get a competitive process going. Um, the exception to that is if you are in very, very in demand and desirable spaces that you know, AI being the, the obvious one at the moment, um, that, that, that people might value businesses, uh, give a much higher valuation to businesses and therefore allow them to write that check or they may reduce their check size to, to get into that market. And, and you've touched on something that uh, we've heard uh, perhaps mythical stories about in the past, whereas once you get to about a two million EBITDA, um, your valuation multiple steps up by a notch. Is, is that what you see? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So um, the larger you get, the more rare a beast you become. Yep. Um, so therefore, you know, as long as there's high demand and, and the, you know, what changes multiples is competition, quite frankly, you know, that's the only thing that really drives a significant amount of value. So uh, you're rarer, you're more in demand, there's less opportunity, so there'll be more people um, who want to come and come and have a uh, to try and acquire you, and, and hence we'll drive drive your multiple up. So that's uh, absolutely correct. Okay, so and if someone's got let's say less than a two mil um, EBITDA, what are the options available to them? The most common options for someone who's yeah half a mil uh, to to two mil sort of range. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, look, so they are uh, you know, there's still loads of options available two people um I, I think if you're getting close to a million or beyond a million it really puts you on the radar of, of a lot of businesses yep. that are out there um like I said, you know and you can go through those groups you know kind of whether it's um 
traditional listed businesses that might be looking, whether it's consultancies that are, are looking to add to their, you know, technology consulting businesses that are looking to add into into their capabilities or geographies into their, their portfolios. You might not be ready to go to private equity as a, an initial investment, but actually this, the private equity and service-based business is the only real justification as far as I can see, or the 90% of the time will be for a buy and build strategy. So there will be private equity backed businesses that want to come and buy you. Um, and there's also options around just doing it yourself, like you know, uh, um, management buyouts. And um, in the UK, again, there's there's a tax efficient ways of doing that. But uh, you know, we've done two or three of those over the last last kind of a couple of years because they uh, they're quite appealing for people to sort of retain control of the process. So it's almost at the moment nothing's off the table because yep. it's a very very dynamic market and it remains so. In fact. We've got more buyers and sellers in the marketplace at the moment. So um, I'd say you, you kind of never had more options. Yeah. And it, and it relates back to, as you were saying earlier, about your risk profile, because you can get to a certain size, then start acquiring a few of your competitors or, or the other players in the market. You can increase your business size that way. Um, acquisition it up. You may end up with more shareholders in your business, but you then become more attractive because you're a larger player yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think buy and build strategy is something that we've seen over the last two or three years becoming of increasing, uh, increasingly common, um, much more ambitious uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, and, and it's a great way of, of, of driving more value through your organization. Um, it's got to be done very carefully. Uh, yeah. you, you know, it, it, it's going to add, if, you, if you're embarking on an M&A strategy today, it's going to add 24 months to your ability to sell from just standing stocks it'll take you 12 months to do the deal in normal circumstances and it'll take you 12 months to integrate it before you can really go to market so it, def it definitely kicks kicks things down the road but in terms of accelerating it it's it's it's, it's there if it's strategic um and and don't forget the opportunity cost of of doing it it's going to cost you you know even a small deal of i don't know a million pounds of revenue is going to cost you 50 100 150 grand of management time advisor fees you know um to kind of get it to get it right so you've got to get quite an uplift on that to make sure you're getting return on investment and and, and your time's not and money's not better spent elsewhere yeah okay and let's just go for for one last question for businesses say under the 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 half a mil of ebitda um in your experience what are the options what what words of wisdom can you share with business owners in that category yeah i think look, you can still sell at that level but you're very much in the sort of bolt-on territory. Um, I think you've got to perhaps pay a lot more consideration to uh, packaging yourself nicely for an acquirer. So you've got to keep your business very, very simple. Your process is very, very simple. Um, ensure you've got sort of robustness, robust um, client relationships so that they're kind of far less of a concern. Um, and, and, and similarly with, with your kind of, kind of clients. So, uh, the way you're most likely to sell your business then is, is actually by making relationships as early as possible because it's going to be, you know, people are going to need to trust you. So building strong ties with other organizations or, you know, kind of just, just, just even networking, getting out into the market is going to be essential so that if you want to sell your business, people already know who you are and know what you do and trust you. Brilliant. So, um, so the scales or the or the options and the attractiveness changes the bigger you get, um, but every business owner starts somewhere and uh, everyone started at a small business, and it can be you know quite lucrative if you prepare properly and you prepare two or three years in advance by the sounds of things. Correct. 
brilliant. Hey, Joe, I really appreciate you sharing your exit insights with us. I've got one last question for you, if you don't mind. What's the, um, so I ask this to everyone who, who joins us on the, on the, the podcast, and that is, look, we, we've covered a lot of territory today. What's the one key message you want people, listeners, to, to take away from uh, the wisdom that you've shared with them today? Uh, I think it's a, if, if someone is starting to, to go on this journey um, or, or, or thinks that they want to realize value at some point, I think it's so much of it's about the time at which you start to switch your attention to it. Um, you, you kind of switch, switch yourself too quickly and, and um, you know, kind of it, it can be quite disastrous on the business. Switch yourself too slowly to it and you might miss out on opportunity. And so I think you've got to start gearing up with one to five percent of your time just considering this and building up your understanding potentially working with somebody else that can help you with that um and so that you're you know you're kind of you're getting to 10 20 percent um kind of a year out and then once you're actually getting you know very close to it uh you can switch to sort of you know kind of 100 percent if you like um so you know start early but just start in the right way brilliant joe hein thanks for sharing your exit insights with us today Brilliant. Thank you, Daryl. Pleasure to be here.